0: And believe me, we have not even come close to exhausting Luke chapter 10. But I've been dancing around it, trying to get a few things out of it for us, because as I have said from day one, when we moved into the Forest Hills community that we are in, after having been in Franklin for over 18 years, I felt this, that this was a strategic move a missional move, much more than a functional move, that is for God just to give us a house, a place to worship in and all that. I felt that this was about strategy, that we were thrust out into this harvest field. And as a result, we've been trying to focus on that so that we don't become a church that's ingrown, so that we don't become a church that is just trapped inside of a building. But no, the building is just a launching pad. It's to be an instrument and not a monument. So we've been trying to get that into our spirit because, man, until we've served and given our lives away and shared the gospel in word and in deed, we really haven't lived for Christ. And so I thank him that he's stamping that in our DNA to remind us that there's work to do from this house into the community that we're a part of now. We're moving quickly towards the uh, closing on this property. We'll dedicate this house later next month. I mean, just so many great things that God has allowed us to join him in. I'm so excited. And uh, so today I just want to carry on, and I want to talk about going two by two today. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And the Bible says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two, before his face, into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the prophecy of scripture. It's a very, very sure word. We thank you that you have protected and preserved your word, whereby we have a copy in this land of the free, in the home of the brave That we can read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, that we can ask your Holy Spirit to teach us your word so that we can understand your will, so that we can live according to your way. So bless us now, Lord. Thank you for the gift of preaching and teaching that you've given me. But, Lord God, I know that apart from you, I can't do this. And apart from you, your people can't understand the things of God. So move all of us out of the way, starting with me, so that we can get something from you today that's life-changing. Holy Spirit, speak, because we have ears to hear. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Jesus sent out the 70 two by two. In the way that I learned, the Bible is by asking questions of it. So I asked the question, why did Jesus send the disciples out Two by two. Why did you do that, Jesus? What was the strategy? Why did you do it that way? Well, the law of multiple witnesses was embedded into the Jewish culture. By sending the 70 disciples out two by two, they had legal validity to testify and bear witness about Jesus. So why did he send them out two by two? Well, the culture, the Jewish culture, it was a culture that you had to have multiple witnesses in order for a matter to be established. It was a part of the culture. And so when Jesus sent them out, he was giving them legal validity to testify. Because in the Jewish culture, they didn't trust a testimony from one person there had to be two people or three people testifying, bearing witness on a matter. If you didn't have two or three people, people did not take what you said seriously. So when he sent them two by two in that culture that was, again, based upon this kind of multiple witnesses, because had they gone by themselves, they would have experienced rejection. But by going two by two, That caused the culture, the people to say, okay, there must be something worth listening to. Let's go back. Let's turn into uh, our Bibles to Numbers chapter 35. We're going to turn today. Now, I purposefully did not put the scriptures on the screen because I feel like I've been spoiling a few of y'all. Y'all wait for me to put the scriptures up. And I think some of us have gotten rusty in the Bible. So therefore, we are going to turn today. This is still Strong Tower Bible Church, is it not? And so we're going to turn Numbers chapter 35, or if you're on your phone, you ought to be able to get there real quick, Numbers chapter 35. We're going to look at this law, this kind of social um, part of the culture of the Jewish people. That when God gave them all of these laws, 614 laws, there was the Mosaic law that dealt with the moral aspect of man. But then there were the ceremonial laws or the societal laws. And we're going to look at one of them that's very prevalent in their culture. And that's the law of multiple witnesses. Uh, Numbers chapter 35, verse 30. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death. On the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. So you see, in the Jewish economy, the Jewish way, their culture, one person, their testimony would not be enough to put a person to death. Uh, Turn with me over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. You would have to have multiple witnesses. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Verse 6, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. So you're seeing this in the culture. It's uh, being placed there in terms of the law of multiple witnesses. Now let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 5. Excuse me, 1915, excuse me. Deuteronomy, second law. So this is Moses rehashing the law that was given in the book of Exodus. He's giving it to him again. And it says in verse 15, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So you see that? They're trying to stop In their culture, one person rising up to condemn another person. Now, in America, in our legal system, um, you know, if one person sees you commit a crime, then that is enough to bring conviction. And even today, you don't even need a witness if there's DNA evidence. But within the Jewish economy, God is saying we need at least two, three people to say what they saw. Let's go to the New Testament, John chapter 5. Again, this is embedded in their culture. Why did he send them out two by two? Because he was establishing two witnesses to testify that he was the Christ. John chapter 5 in the New Testament. There is a method to the madness. There's a reason behind everything that God does. John chapter 5, Jesus had just declared that he and the Father were working together, thus He was making a claim that he was God, the son, uh, that he was the son of God. And so he says in verse 31 of John chapter 5, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Stop and pause. Now, it's not that Jesus lied, that if he bared witness of himself, he was not telling the truth. No, from a cultural standpoint, he understood where he was So he's like, I'm not going to bear witness of myself because if I do that, my witness would not be true from a cultural standpoint. Because in our culture, we need at least two or three witnesses to establish a matter. So he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Even though what I'm saying is true, but I understand the culture, how we work around here. So he says in verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, that's the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life." So he's speaking to the religious community. They're not willing to come to Christ. But based on the law of multiple witnesses, Jesus is saying, look, I'm not even going to testify about myself. I could, but I know you would reject me if I did. So let's call John the Baptist as a witness. Let's call the works that I do as a witness. Let's call the father as a witness. And if you need a fourth one, let's call the scriptures, because when Moses wrote, he wrote about me. So Jesus is speaking to that culture in a way in which they could understand. Now let's go over to John chapter 8. Jesus just declares that he is the light of the world. He saves a woman who had been set up. uh, They were going to stone her. They said that she was caught in adultery, and they only produced the woman. How do you catch somebody in adultery, and you only got one person? It was a setup from go, but he steps in there and ministers perfectly as he always does and he's basically saying to this woman I am the light of the world in the midst of your moral darkness go now and leave your life of sin grace changed her when religion was about to kill her love God had mercy on her and yes yes she will go leave that life of sin so it says in verse 13 of John chapter 8 the Pharisees therefore said to him You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. So when he says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees and those guys said, no, 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 Your witness. You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men, two men, two men, is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So you want two witnesses? How about me (laughs) and the Father? So once again, in the Hebrew culture, The word of one person was not valid enough to establish anything as legally binding. However, multiple witnesses were used to establish the truth of a matter because it's always a powerful thing when two people say the same thing about one thing. It's a powerful thing when two people say the same thing about one thing. So when two people say that he is the Christ, it's more powerful that way than if one person just says it by him or herself. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, how can two walk together unless they agree? He's going to send the two out, the two witnesses, the two ones to testify, two by two. And they're going to walk in agreement about Jesus, and they're going to speak in agreement about Jesus. There won't be differing messages. No, no, no. They're going to say the same thing, thus giving legal validity to what they are testifying about. So by going two by two, the disciples not only had legal validity, they also had community, they had encouragement, they had accountability, and they had greater effectiveness for the Lord. So let me just walk through those real quickly to encourage you. Because as we're asking God to show us how we can go into this harvest field and to continue to experience and expand his diverse kingdom in the city and around the world, Lord, would you show us not only where to go and who to go to, but Lord, would you show us who to go with? Because I don't believe God calls us to do anything by ourselves. He calls us in community, which is our first point, another derivative of going two by two, and that is you have blessed community you have community. No one was meant to do life or ministry all alone. You weren't built that way. I wasn't built that way. We were meant to be in community. And even when Jesus called the disciples, he called them in community and he grouped them in pairs of two. Look with me to Luke chapter 6. Go to Luke chapter 6 and see this. I, I had not seen this until I started studying this this week. Never noticed this, how intentional the Lord was and how specific the scriptures are because too many of us, we don't want to be in community. We want to be by ourselves, and I think Christy said last week that the shepherd does more, expends more energy, so to speak, trying to keep the sheep in the sheepfold as opposed to keeping the wolf away from the sheep. We just like to stray. We like to wander. We like to be by ourselves. And that's when there's danger. But God calls us to be in community. Look at Luke chapter 6 verse 12. It says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Now, watch how this word and comes into play in the New King James Version. So you see Peter and Andrew. That's one group. And then you see James and John, semicolon. Philip, and Bartholomew, semicolon, Matthew and Thomas, semicolon, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Selet, semicolon, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. So we see that the 12, they were broken up into six groups of two. So Jesus was already pairing them up because everybody needs somebody. So because you can still get lost in a small group. They had a small group of 12, but you can still get lost in that. So he said, I'm going to pair you guys up. I remember when uh, growing up in Baltimore, we would take trips to Washington, D.C. every year to go see the Capitol and the Washington Monument and all that stuff. And we would get in those yellow cheese buses and drive the 50 miles into D.C. And before we got on that bus, they made sure that every student had a partner. Everybody had somebody. And so you were responsible for your partner all day, and they were responsible for you. Don't you try to come back to that bus without your partner. No, you got off that bus together, you get on that bus together. If it worked for 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, it still works for grown-ups too. You need somebody, and somebody needs you. You know, one of the greatest sitcoms in television... Uh, No, I'm not speaking of Saffron and Son, but I'm speaking about Cheers. Cheers. There's great theological ramifications in the theme song of Cheers. I know you remember it, but the song says, Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And you're always glad that you came. You remember how that show used to come on? Sometimes you want to go, where everybody knows your name, and you're always glad you came. Now, if a bar is trying to get that kind of community where people sit around drinks in order to have community, when you walk into the bar, they say, hey, Norm, everybody knows your name. How? much more in the kingdom of God, where we have the living wine, the living bread, Jesus Christ, we ought to be able to come into his presence and in the presence of one another where everybody knows your name and you're always glad that you came. But we have so many Christians, they miss the community element. And this is why so many of us get disgruntled and discouraged and disheartened with the local church because we don't feel like anyone knows our name. We feel like, man, if I miss X amount of Sundays, nobody would know. And so you feel like a stranger in this group. Well, I would encourage you not only to sit back and wonder if someone knows your name. I encourage you to get up and try to find and learn somebody else's name because you can't always sit and wait for people to come to you. I know it may not be your personality, but you got to get up and love somebody and not just sit back and wait to be loved. The most fulfilled people in this church are people who are in community. And I ain't talking about in community with the Pastor. Because I can only roll with but a few people, just like you can only roll with a few people. Why? Because a man of many companions may come to ruin, but I know a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can't have but so many friends. And so the question is do you have community in the kingdom? Now, I know, you know, for me, Sherman Smith, man, is probably my closest just male friend. I love that guy, but we don't do dinner all the time. We don't hang. That's my guy. There's a knitting of the spirit that is there. I have Pastor Durrell here, but, man, there's something going on with me and Sherman. But I don't use that as my excuse. Oh, he's out of town, so I'm going to be by myself. And some of us are still holding on to people who are in our old hometown. Yeah, yeah. When I have an issue, I call so-and-so. No, you need somebody to look at you in your face. You need community. I need community. Who are you in community with? Secondly, there's encouragement when you go two by two. Jesus said, let's make this group smaller, not only for legal validity, but also for community and encouragement. Why? Because discouragement hits us all, especially when we're in the ministry. And all of us are in the ministry. And that ministry is tough sometimes. You said that, Susan. It's tough out there. We're fighting devils and evil spirits and mean-spirited people. Man, we're traveling places. Man, we're struggling. We don't have our needs all the time. Things are going on. It's tough. But man, every now and then I need me a word of encouragement to keep on going. Now, the disciples, the early disciples, they named uh, this guy named Joseph. They gave him another name, Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. So this guy had the spiritual gift of encouragement. Isn't it good when you hang out and know people have the gift of encouragement? That when they come into a room, the room just lights up. They know how to encourage you and lift you up. They know how to say a word. They know how to pray over you. Well, Barnabas had this gift that God had given him, so they named him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And he was the one who brought Paul into the apostles when they were afraid of Paul because encouragers are bridge builders. They bring people who are so-called threats into the establishment, and he was able to do that. Because dig this, this is what I believe too. I believe when the Holy Spirit said to the church at Antioch, separate from me two people who are going to go two by two, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do, Paul put someone of a source of encouragement next to Paul. Paul, the leader, he would experience discouragement. Why? He would get whipped, beaten, all kinds of things. So he would need somebody with the gift of encouragement to lift him up, Brian Patterson. And I'm so glad for the gift that you have. Because those of us who get beat up and beat down and tore up, we know who to call when we need some encouragement. Some of you who look like you've been baptized in lemon juice, we don't call you. (laughs) No, we don't call. You got other gifts. (laughs) The other day I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine, uh, Chris Whitney. I think it was Saturday, yesterday he called me, pastor of uh, the Nashville Family Church. I was blessed to be a part of the group that ordained Chris as he took up the mantle there at his church. Uh, But he called me and he said, I wanted you to hear this from me and not from someone else. And he says, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And I just would ask Pastor, you would just love me, pray with me. And he didn't even have to say that. I I knew. I said, hey, man, I got you. And I listened to him talk. And the Holy Spirit's doing a great work on him. Um, The kind of cancer he has, they do believe they can get it. He's going to have to go through six weeks of chemotherapy, uh, 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 radiation, and all that stuff. But he believes they're going to get it. And he said, sometimes I have my days where I'm focused. Other times, man, he said, I just got diagnosed with this at the end of the year. And what a way to start 2014. And we just talked. And and I listened. I bore my brother's burden as best as I could. And I said, hey, man, can I pray with you before we hung hung up? And he said, absolutely. And so I prayed for my friend. And I told him of a story. I said, just this week, uh, I was able to go to the hospital and see God do a miracle in the life of someone who's battling cancer in a very severe fashion. For those of you who who may not know, uh, Brother Frank Cyrus, one of the men who's been a part of our church for years, part of our security ministry, he's been fighting cancer for over a year now. Uh, In his stomach, it's eaten into his back. Um, It's just been a fight that he and Cynthia have been going through. And I got back from Seattle on Monday night, Tuesday morning at 1 in the morning. I didn't know it till I got up, but I had a text from her saying that they had taken Frank to Vanderbilt and it didn't look good. And he's been in and out of the hospital. They've resuscitated him a number of times. And so she said it didn't look good. So Tuesday, I didn't even come into the office. I went straight to the hospital and there he was. I, Deacon Jesse and I, we met up and we went in together two by two, went into that room and uh, he just wasn't there. He wasn't there. And uh, we began to pray over him and speak to him as if he could hear us. And uh, in just a few moments as he heard his pastor's voice uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, he opened up his eyes. And I began to look at him and talk to him and the doctors had said, we're glad that we're seeing some movement, but he's not really responding, uh, touching his fingertips. He can't feel anything. Uh, uh, we're going to give him 72 hours because his, when he had cardiac arrest, uh, it his, his shut down the oxygen to his brain. And we've got to be able to watch and see whether or not he has brain activity. We, we got to give him at least 72 hours. And so Cynthia handled that very well um, in the future. We're going to have preparation for death at Strong Tower Bible Church. We're going to talk about some things, about living wills and all that stuff. It's coming. We're going to prepare uh, on how to go and leave our loved ones. And so she was like, I'm prepared, but I also believe God for a miracle. And so, so uh, they gave him 72 hours. We left the next day. Cynthia texted me and said, your boy is sitting up talking and giving commands to everybody. I said, amen. I got in my car and went down to Vanderbilt and had to see it for myself. And I come in, he's wearing a Tuskegee Airman hat. He's giving me pound. He's talking about his childhood. And I said, Lord, you are a wonder. You are amazing. Thank you. So I encourage Chris with that story that God still heals and God is still able to deliver. Now, they got out of Vanderbilt on Friday. And they told me, Pastor, you know, we're we going to do our best to get to church today. And uh, man, if they had come in this building today, my good, we'd still be singing this power in the name of Jesus right now. I tell you what, but he is coming. Oh, boy, encouragement. We need to be encouraged because we lose courage sometimes. You don't know when you're going to be in that predicament where you need somebody to lift you up. So, men, can I say this to you real quick? I don't have a lot of time. But we get into trouble as men because that thing that God gave us to lead, sometimes it turns into pride and self-sufficiency, and we think we don't need nobody. But the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4 that two are better than one. Because if you fall down and you don't have anybody with you, what a horrible fall. But if somebody is with you, that person can help pick you up. Too many men are falling down and staying down because they don't have a brother in their life to pick them up. And you never know when you're going to slip and need somebody to pick you up. So we're starting again, brothers. We had a great fall. Now we're starting in the spring with a kickoff at my home. Uh, January 29th for the men's ministry. Uh, We're going to get together and just talk. We're going to cast vision. We're going to talk about what we're doing. I know everybody can't make it, but for those of you who can, you need to get with us because we're going to lead the church this spring. When we pray together, oh, I've got a vision for y'all. It's coming, it's coming. But men, we've got to get together. Thank God for encouragement. I have a friend, man, in, in Tallahassee, Florida, another guy that if I'm struggling, after I talk to Jesus, talk to my wife, talk to Pastor Darrell, may call Lomansky, uh, Vincent Smith, man, I can call that guy, man. He can call me. Say, I just need a little encouragement. You got to have that in your life. But then you got to have accountability as well. What is accountability? You've got to give an account for your ability. But people who are isolated, they don't have to give account to anybody. You know, they, and, and if they're really connected with God, God's going to send them into community But they don't want to be in community because a lot of us don't want to be accountable. The disciples were susceptible to sin, which is why they needed accountability. We're all susceptible to sin prone to wander, Lord. I feel it prone to leave the God I love, but man, sometimes I might stand stronger if I know there's somebody that's going to hold me accountable. If somebody's going to look me in my eyes and ask me, are you spending time with God? Are you spending time with your wife? Are you spending time with your children? And do it in a loving way. You know, kind of have a a velvet hammer, if you will. You know, some of us got friends, they too much velvet. Others, they too much hammer. Can we just kind of mesh the lamb and lion together? Because you got some friends, accountability is when they jack you up, beat you up, smack you up, and you don't want to see them because they ain't got the gift of encouragement. But you got to have somebody in your life that, man, they're going to lovingly hold you accountable and you hold them accountable. This ain't no one-way street where you just check on me. Now, how's your sex life? How's your thought life? How are your finances? And I can't turn around and ask the same question. We ain't going two by two. No, 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 no. I need to ask you the same question. How you doing, brother? How you doing with that? How you doing with this? Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Perhaps Peter would not have denied the Lord in the courtyard had he been standing with John, the one that Jesus yoked him up with. Man, man, perhaps, you know, he wouldn't have fallen had Andrew been with him in the courtyard. But with, when he was standing alone, he did not stand long. If you don't have anybody, man, you're not going to stay in long. Who are you accountable to? And then finally, when you go two by two, you have greater effectiveness. Greater effectiveness. The disciples continued going out two by two, even after Jesus had ascended. Peter and John went up to the temple in Acts chapter 3 and healed a lame man. Paul and Barnabas went out on the first missionary trip. Then later, Paul and Silas. Then later, Paul and Timothy Why? Because we are stronger together than apart. Deuteronomy 32, 30 says, how could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? In other words, God is doing the ultimate fighting. But one person can put a thousand to flight in this fight but two people can put 10,000 to flight. Do you see how we've multiplied our efforts because we've chosen to be together versus being apart? Uh, I'm not a horse guy. I don't own a horse. Tom, do you own a horse? Okay, Uh, he he says, Pastor, you think I'm just some redneck, don't you? I said, well, well, uh, you said it I didn't. But, But you know, man, I've learned about horses. A horse by itself can pull about 9,000 pounds in a carriage. That's a lot. But two horses together can pull 32,000 pounds. And so they've tripled, more than tripled their capacity because they work together. So when we come together, man, when, when God, you know, had to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, those two angels showed up in that place. When Joshua was trying to scout out the land, he sent two spies into that place. David had Jonathan. I mean, man, when you've got somebody, you've multiplied your effectiveness. And as Charles got up to go teach, he's going back there to teach with Scott Rowley. Can you imagine whatever age group they're teaching to have these two seasoned warriors ministering to them? Oh, I'd love to take pictures of that too. But man, that's powerful. So, who are you ministering with? Who's working with you in the ministry? Well, what we've seen today is that by going two by two, the 70 disciples not only had legal validity, they also had community, encouragement, accountability, and greater effectiveness on the harvest field. So, I ask again, when Jesus sent them out, who's he sending you out with? Because he's not sending out Lone Ranger Christians. No, he's sending us out in teams, in groups, because he knows the power of community and encouragement, accountability, and effectiveness. Um, And if you say, Pastor Chris, now, I'm used to being by myself, man. You know, this this stuff, I, I don't know about this. Well, again, we just looked at the Word of God, and we just saw how the Bible encourages us to be in community, to have somebody in our lives. Not just for ministry, but also for the Christian life. We can't do it alone. And let me say this too. I'm married and I'm blessed to have my wife. That, that's my rib. Man, after God, she's first. But I still need men in my life. You know, there's something about men. And she needs women in her life. So you need to see if you can pair up with somebody of the same sex Man, this is my brother. This is my sister. And together, man, we're going to do this thing in Jesus' name. I'm not going to be by myself. And some people say, man, I just don't have any friends. Well, pray for friends. And pray that you can be the kind of friend that you want to have. Just don't pray for friends. Pray that you can be a friend. In other words, just don't wait for them to come to you. you get up and find somebody. Again, the most frustrated people in the kingdom are those who abide themselves. I remember when um, I started getting serious for Jesus at Liberty University my freshman year, um, trying to do my little gospel rap stuff, and this is before I met uh, Daryl my sophomore year. So I'm dipping and dabbing in the world, in the word. I'm trying. I, I ain't really get sold out yet, you know. And I remember when I would go home on break. You know, I would slip right back into the party scene because that's where all my friends were from high school. You know, so I would go to the party but I wouldn't drink. I would go to the party, but I wouldn't do that. I would go to the I would try to be around them, and you know how that is. And so my spirit, because once you get saved, you can't sin the way you used to. You can't get away with stuff you used to get away, because the Holy Spirit will trouble you. And so the Lord was like, "Um, you keep using this excuse. You don't have any friends. Why don't you pray for some friends? Friends who are serious. Because everybody said they go to church. Especially that boy that's trying to get in your pants. Yeah, I go to church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so everybody say that. I used to use that line. So, you know. I was like, you know. Pray for So I prayed, Lord, I need some Christian friends who are sold out. That prayer changed my life because eventually that guy, God put me and him together. He put me with another gentleman, Andre Sims, and on and on. He's put key men in my life, and I thank God. And they had something to give me at different stages in my life, and I hope that I gave them something. It's a strong tie. Who's your two? If you're one, who's your two? And if you said, mm, let's see him, you need prayer. If you can't call that person immediately, we need to pray with you. But you got to have a two. got to have a two. Yeah. Who's your two? Let's pray. Father God, yeah, we're serious. As Susan said today, Lord, if she had another 40 years, 50 years, it still wouldn't be enough to live for you and to do the things that you've put in her heart. God, we know time is short. We don't know how much time we have. We don't know when you're coming. We don't know when we're going to die. But I thank you that you are, as Elder Tyler said, realigning us with you, not just to encourage our spirit, but also to remind us of our assignment, that we're not just here to have a White House, two and a half kids, a picket fence, and a dog. No, we are here to build the kingdom, to expand the name of Jesus. And so, God, would you make clear to us what our assignment is, not only as a church, but also as individuals in the church. Thank you for faithful ministers who do have that too. They do have that community. They do have that partner. But I pray for the rest of us. We don't have it. We don't, we're not keeping a brother the way you've called us to be our brother's keeper. We're, we're not in community. Break that down. Smash that pride. May we pray and talk to you this week saying, Lord, show me who that is and show me who I'm to be that person to because we can't do this by ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the simple truths of the Bible. It always works out better when we do things your way. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? As the singers come.